You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh Brady preaches from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, as we continue through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We pray that God would use his word to strengthen and challenge us today as we seek to become more like Jesus. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to that passage that was so incredibly well read? Thank you so much for reading for us today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Uh, David and I were talking just prior to uh, the service this morning, uh, and so when his son said, Dad, I'd like to read the passage today, do you think it's going to be long? Uh, David was like, surely it's not going to be long. It was long um, today. Uh, But you did a great job reading it. Very, very well done. Uh, As we jump into the text today uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, uh, I want you to get in your mind just a remembrance of why this letter is so important. Uh, This is the most, I would say, the most encouraging letter in all of the New Testament, maybe even in all of the Bible. Uh, And what I mean by that is it is written purely to encourage the church. There is not much corrective action or order given. Uh, it is simply a man who, who, in the Apostle Paul, who 10 years prior to penning this letter was actually in Philippi. Uh, he and Silas, if you go back to Acts 16, you can see that unfold and how God sovereignly moved them all across Asia and they get to Philippi, that's Greece, modern day Greece, and they plant this church and it, it is vibrant through, through the, the work of, of, of Lydia and the Philippian jailer and the former demon-possessed girl and, and God births this church that legitimately puts the world upside down. And so 10 years have passed and the church has continued to thrive. And so now Paul is writing a letter to bring encouragement to these brothers and sisters to to say, well done for what you've done, but also continue on in the call on your life. And I would pray that that would be our reminder every day. We we are thankful for the the attaboys and the attagirls that the Father gives to us through the Spirit's affirmation in our life, through brothers and sisters in our life, but to remind us that our Christian work is never done on this side of eternity. Nobody ever retires from Christian work until we go home to glory or Christ brings us there. And so with that, we need the same encouragement. Yes, we are thankful for God's faithfulness in the past and in the present. Oh, but church, can we be in awe of God's faithfulness for the future? And so as we do that, there's a question that kind of comes to my mind this morning. It may be a strange question, but let's see where it goes, okay? If you were walking around kind of however you do life, whether that is working or school or, or activities or retirement, whatever that is, and you walked up on somebody or some group of people talking about you, what would they be saying? When, when people begin to, to, to bring your name up in conversation, do you think it is something positive, something negative, or something neutral? Let's take it a little bit more strange. Uh, if, if this afternoon we were preaching your funeral, and we get to the moment of the eulogy, that, that eulogy literally means to speak well of, and we get to this moment in the service, and, and we begin to, to talk about you and the life that you lived, what would we say? What would you hope would be said? Of course, as a believer, my my prayer for you and for myself would be that that person, that that, that I, Josh, loved the Lord God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that he loved his neighbor as himself. 
And I pray that, that maybe that would be your, your desire as well, right? So, so in theory, we would want people to believe about us that we took this book seriously and the Savior in which it speaks of and the kingdom for which it stands. That, that's what we would desire, that, that people would know about us, right? Well, as we continue on today, we are going to see a picture of two brothers, not biological brothers, but brothers in the faith. One's name is probably one that you have heard of before in the scriptures. He actually has a couple of letters written to him from the Apostle Paul. His name's Timothy. And then there's going to be another brother in the faith named Epaphroditus. And the beauty of these two is they are, are being encouraged to the Philippian church to, to, to become aware of their life and, and their leadership is, is Timothy. They've really never laid their eyes on, more than likely. But Epaphroditus, they had. Because Epaphroditus, as we're going to see in just a moment, is actually a missionary who was a part of their church and had been sent out to go serve with the Apostle Paul. And all this time later, Epaphroditus is about to return home with some incredibly encouraging news. And so as we look to our text today, my, my encouragement for you is as we see some of the descriptors of Timothy and Epaphroditus and even the Apostle Paul and what he speaks about himself, these are going to be the characteristics of a man, or I would even say of a person who loves the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And who loves their neighbor as their self. And so we could even go back and, and if you wanted to, go back to the end of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2. And you can dive a little bit more deeply into what that life may look like. Just remembering that if, if love is abounding and if, you're, if your life is, is surrendered to the Lord Jesus, then you should live it in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, then we all should have the mind of Christ being of the same love and full accord in one mind with no selfish ambition, no vain conceit, in all humility, considering, considering others as more important than ourselves, obedient to Christ's word, not grumbling or complaining, holding fast to the, to the word of truth and rejoicing even in the suffering that we are going to face whenever we are obedient to God's call on our life. So with that, we jump into today's text. We look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. We see two men in their examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, that they are the ones who, who are embodying this image. And yes, we are to, to emulate them as they follow Christ, but hear me out. They're not Jesus. I don't want you to put them on a pedestal. But as we walk through these texts, I want you to consider your own life. And chatting with our staff this week, I think that there is a right tension for us to, to consider, are we living up to the standard, not of Timothy and not of Epaphroditus and even not of Paul, but are we living up to the standard that the scriptures set before us? Because if we are to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, then I think it would be wise for us to listen in a good way that's critical Critical of our own lives and our own thoughts and our own actions. So with that, let's jump in. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope that in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. All right. Now, as we always do, we'll take this verse by verse and line by line, even though it is many today. 
the Christians giving and receiving of the reports of God's goodness and faithfulness is life-giving for the individual in the church. Think about this. Paul was in prison, and he was cut off from most of the people that he knew and almost all of the people that he loved. And he wanted to hear about the Lord's work so much that the the, the thought of the church in Philippi, the, the church that he helped plant 10 years earlier, he just desired to know what those brothers and sisters were doing, how the Lord was being faithful to them, how he was walking with him, that he was willing to send his closest and his best friends to go check it out. When Christians talk about the way that they see God being faithful, when they, when they see God moving around them, there is a shared joy that is expressed so church, here would be some encouragement for us in our daily life. Don't hide the good stuff from brothers and sisters around you. I know we live in a world that this, this question seems just, just kind of everyday run of the mill. And here's the question that we'll hear all the time. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's life? And I'm so thankful that this week in asking that, I have been intentionally asking that to different people that I would see in church or out in the community or different places. I'm thankful for the pause. And one guy, as we were sitting, said, do you really want to know? And I said, I don't know now. Yes, I do. And in that moment, even in the greatest of joy or the deepest of sorrow, there was great joy in the faithfulness of the Father. That if I had not asked that question, and if that brother had not responded, we would have both missed out on. There is great joy when Christians come together and they actually give a good and faithful report of what the Lord is doing. Listen to me, that doesn't mean everything that has to be sunshine and rainbows all the times. For in the faith, it is usually in the darkest of days that God's grace shines the brightest. And so for us, church family, when you have an opportunity to give a good and faithful and accurate report of God's faithfulness, do it. Don't hide the good stuff. Don't be shy with the glory of God. Talk about it early and often. Is this part of your everyday conversations? Or is this just conversation reserved for the church building? Maybe, maybe it's not even reserved for this space, for in this space you come and you expect a few songs to be sung, an opportunity to, to give a tithe and an offering, and then an opportunity to hear God's word preached to you, and then you are out and you never really interacted. Maybe you reserve that for the life group setting that's either before or after this hour. My encouragement to you, and I know, I know, and I, I get it, my encouragement to you would be this. This is not just church, church, this. Church is not just a sacred hour a week. It can't be. Church has to be life for us. For church is more than the building and it's more than the service. Church are brothers and sisters who are united in Christ Jesus for the glory of God and the good of those that are around them. And so when you have an opportunity to gather with your brothers and sisters, here would be my encouragement to you. Come early and linger after that in that you would have an opportunity to, to share this joy with one another. So is this part of your everyday conversation? If not, what's the disconnect? What, what stops you when somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Sometimes, and legitimately, I, I've been there. Sometimes it is, well, I really don't have time to get into it. So it's great. I'm great. Everything's great. Or it's bad. Everything's terrible. The world's falling down. I got to go. 
what, what if, what if, Christian, in our schedule, in our, in our phone, in, in my Outlook daily planner, what if I didn't schedule every minute to the next meeting? What if we didn't schedule everything to the next thing where we never had margin for God to do something big in our life or to use us to do something big in the lives of others? Church family, don't miss. This is, this is what the Apostle Paul is encouraging them. Look, I am, I am sending to you brothers that are going to speak life into you. And the report they get is going to speak life into me. Nowhere, nowhere is he going to say they have a great sermon to preach and four new songs that are going to kill. You're not going to believe the new service style we're going to do. No, this is about brothers and sisters coming together, talking about the faithfulness of God in their life. This may be hard to believe, but when Christians give a good and faithful testimony to what God is doing to his faithfulness, it brings life to those who speak it and those who hear it. Maybe, I know, Broadmoor's a, it's, it's a unique place, but maybe you didn't grow up in the big church. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a smaller church. A church where, where potentially you knew everybody and you knew everybody's stories, those who were there and those who weren't. And I know we have them here, but, but in a church setting, there's always a group called shut-ins. It's a, it's a group of people who, for whatever reason, they can't get out of their house. They, they're shut in their own house or their own hospital room or their own uh, recovery facility. And, and, and honestly, and if you were to sit and you were to talk with them, what they desire more than anything else isn't the latest sermon or the new worship set that you're going to do or the new trends in church. They want you to come and sit and talk, and to stay and to linger. I don't think that's just true of shut-ins. I think that's true of every follower of Jesus Christ, for in that moment we are reminded that we are incredibly not alone, that we have people who are gonna walk with us, those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are troubled, they just want somebody to come and sit with them. Yes, a sermon might be good, yes, songs might be encouraging, but it pales in comparison to when another brother and sister comes and sits right next to them and is just there. In seminary, we learn the phrase, the ministry of presence. Dr. Janine Bozeman, she passed and went to be with the Lord a little over a year ago. She was absolutely the best professor I had at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And if you've ever been there, you knew that Dr. Bozeman hung the moon. She had this phrase about the ministry of presence. Her, her, she was a social work professor but her skill was in the ministry of death, loss, and grief. It is why I did the master's I did and the doctorate that I did because of Dr. Janine Bozeman. She would say, in the ministry of presence, it's pretty simple. And if you mess it up, I'm going to come and twist your ear off. That's what she said. She said, show up and shut up. She said, a lot of times, preachers, you have a problem with that because you just want to fill the time with your words. They're not good Show up and shut up. And in that moment, you have an opportunity to be in the ministry of presence where you are there and you sit with somebody. And when you speak, hear me out. It is not your, well, I think this or I think you should do this. We're not giving advice. We're just listening. We're hearing where they are and what they're going through. You're affirming where they are and you just sit with them. That's what the Apostle Paul is desiring here for himself and those that he is writing to. So he continues on, look at verse 20 and 21. He's still talking about Timothy here, his compassion. For I have no one like him 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they are all seeking after their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. So for Paul to make this statement, he would have known that the people receiving Timothy would be suspicious upon his arrival. And that's a good thing, right? Here's why it's a good thing. They weren't going to blindly listen to someone or follow someone that they didn't know. Church family, neither should we. So he says, essentially, look at their life. Here's some good questions to ask. And he's going to fill in the questions, the answers to these questions here. But here are good questions for us to ask when people come and sit with us or when people come and speak to us or when people come and preach to us or say, follow me as I follow Jesus. See if these questions, how they're going to be answered. Number one, why are you here? Like legitimately, why did that person show up? What do you care about most? Whose interest are you really seeking? Is Jesus your main passion? So so that would be questions that he is going to answer about Timothy. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Paul isn't saying that Timothy served him as if Timothy is serving Paul. What he's saying is he served with him. Life's not about us. It's not about Paul. It's about, and still about today, serving Christ. So the truth of this verse that that stuck out to me most powerfully this week is this. When trying to convince the Philippian church that Timothy is trustworthy and true, the only resume that Paul uses to speak about Timothy is his service in the gospel ministry. How differently do we think today? How differently do I think today? of what makes a person actually trustworthy, something that we should listen to them and believe them. For today, a lot of times we put, I'm going to give you a list, and this list is going to be where we tend to put our our focus to see if they're actually trustworthy or not. We'll look at their degree or the school in which they come from, the denomination or the group that they are affiliated with, how they dress or don't dress, the version of the Bible that they use or don't use, the political party that they are affiliated with or they're not affiliated with, the bold claims that they make in person and online. Church family, these things that I just mentioned do not make a person trustworthy. The life that they live makes a person trustworthy. Because you can answer that list, and it's not an exhaustive list, but you, but you can answer it in a way that's going to make you feel most comfortable. You can say, I can listen to you. I, I, can, I can follow you. Man, you, you went to that school. I can follow you. You like that political party? I can follow you. You say this loudly. You post this online. I can follow you. And they're doing that, but in their life that you don't see, they don't love the Lord. They're not walking faithfully with the Lord. They're not loving and serving people. And the encouragement that I want to bring to you today is be careful who you trust your life to. I know for us as a collective body, we say we trust our life to Christ. And that is absolutely true. For we have seen his service. His record is impeccable. But my encouragement to you in the world in which we live, that everybody has an opinion and there's 42,000 ways to get a differing opinion should you want it. Be careful who you let into your ears. Be careful who you let into your eyes. Be careful who you let into your groups. 
Make sure, make sure that the people you are listening to, yes, maybe, maybe those things are helpful. Degrees, denominations, how they dress, how they don't dress, version of the Bible, maybe not. What, whatever, that th- whatever makes you feel most comfortable. But that can't be the end all. It can't be the be all. Because Paul says about Timothy, the reason I want you to trust him is because he has served with me faithfully in advancing the kingdom. And so you say, Josh, why are you making such a big deal about this? Paul is not going to send us another Timothy anytime soon. True. We generally know the people who are speaking and teaching us here at Broadmoor. And that is true. I'm thankful for that. But what about the books we read? The podcasts we listen to, the other churches or ministries that you watch, but we know nothing about who they are and what they're about. The other groups or studies that we attend. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying they're wrong or bad or that you shouldn't be a part of them. What I'm saying is be careful. Just because they look the part. With all the trustworthiness checks that I just mentioned above, doesn't mean that they're actually trustworthy. So, so whatever we do, Look at their life, who they are, where do they live? And I don't mean like, like house or subdivision, but I mean like, like are, they, are, they, are they living and ministering in, in the context in which they live, or is ministry a job for them where they go in and minister and then go back home and don't? All right, so now this may have felt a little bit more comfortable because it felt like we were going to we are going to scrutinize those from a distance. How about we flip the glass and we look at ourselves? Are you ready? Less comfortable, I promise, but good. If we were to take ourselves and you begin to explain to others why you should be so trustworthy, what would you say? Like if, if you were to look at other brothers and sisters and say, look, I, I, I am with you. I am following the Lord Jesus. Look at my life. My life is going to prove what I believe. What would your life prove? this past week? What would your life prove this last month, these last six months? Now, hear me out. Nobody in here is perfect. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. I'm not perfect. I'm telling you right now in front of you. But there has to be this, this contention, this, 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 this tension in our life where we are contending for faithfulness, even in spite of our brokenness. And so, so with that, the Apostle Paul is saying to this church, look, I want you to receive Timothy. He is a good and faithful brother. He has something good, something, something worthwhile to preach to you, to encourage you with, and he is going to bring me something in return. Look at verse 23. Paul is all in on this church. He loves them so much. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, verse 24, and I trust that the Lord uh, in the Lord, that shortly I myself will come also. Paul says, look, he, he's, he's going to soon show up, and I hope, I hope I get to be there with him. I'll be, I'll be there shortly. Paul loved Timothy. Timothy loved Paul. Young Timothy found a leader who exemplified Christ and Paul, and he gave his life to learn from him. And the way that Paul describes it, much like a son learns from a father. And the church has never been the same since. So another question I think it's worth asking this morning for us. 
if, if Timothy is, is this guy who's going to be built up and encouraged to go out to, to encourage the church, encourage brothers and sisters, and to advance the kingdom around the world, starting in Philippi, right? Because he had surrendered himself to the Apostle Paul's teaching, because he had been built up in that way, to be built up, to be sent out. So here's some questions maybe, maybe we answer this morning or at least answer over the course of the next couple of weeks. Number one, who are you following right now in your faith? Who, who are the people in your life that, that you are saying, you know what, I, I agree with how they live their life. I see the faithfulness. I see that the Lord is indeed their Lord, not just in word, but also in deed. And I want to follow them as they follow Jesus. Who are you following? Who are you learning from? How is Christ being honored? How is the church being advanced because of your relationship with that person or those people? All right, so if, if I didn't ask this question, but I think the tension's there, so let's ask it. Do you have anybody like that? Do you have anybody in your life that, that you can actually say, I am following them as they follow Christ so that God would use me in a way that would advance the kingdom and make his name great? If not, what's stopping you? And again, as I look at my own life, and I'm your pastor, I think the tension for the where we live and the pace in which we live is our schedule stops a lot of this. We never have time to learn. We never have time to sit. We never have time to listen. There's always something to do. And then by the time we actually have time, where we have a little bit of margin, what do you do most of the time? Just me? Cool. We are so exhausted and burned out that any of the margin that we have is not for gospel use. God has given us an opportunity to see that and to redeem that, to see that we are created for relationships, and those relationships should be incredibly strategic. Strategic to the point where we are being filled and we get to speak life into the people that are around us. Why? That the kingdom may be advanced and Christ's name be made great. So with that, we move to the next illustration. We see the life of a man named Epaphras. Epaphroditus, sorry, Epaphras is in a different text. Epaphroditus is a brother that they sent to serve with the Apostle Paul. Who's they? Church at Philippi. Epaphroditus is one of them. He was born there. He was raised there. Somewhere in that 10-year span, Epaphroditus is raised up, and he is sent to go be a missionary with the Apostle Paul. Now, to be clear, his name is important. Epaphroditus is the male version of derived from the female name Aphrodite. If you guys are familiar with that, a Greek mythical goddess. So we know that by his name, he was a Gentile. And this relationship dynamic with the Apostle Paul is heightened because of this understanding. Why? Because Paul was a recovering radical Pharisee. Pharisees did not like Gentiles. They often referred to them lovingly, not, as Gentile dogs. And to be fair, Gentiles really didn't care much for Pharisees. So only God can put these two together, working side by side, and making this relationship grow to what it is. Paul doesn't think as Epaphroditus as a Gentile dog. Listen to how he describes him. Look at verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, 
and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Notice again how Paul describes Epaphroditus' trustworthiness. Not degree, not school, not work history, but kingdom service. He's a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. He is one from you. He is, he is your messenger. And he's a minister to my need. Paul explains why their missionary is returning home to them. Verse 26. For he has been longing for you all. And he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now, we, we don't know much about his illness, but this is a little bit of what we do know from taking verse 26 and pulling out information. Number one, evidently he got really, really sick, like to the point of death. He'll speak to that in just a second. And number two, in that death, all Epaphroditus wanted to do was go home. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that where you got incredibly homesick and the only, the only thing that can fix it is mama. Anybody ever been there? Like, man, you, you've, been, you've, been, you've been here, you've been doing life, you're, you're, you're a world traveler, you're, you're dining in the best restaurants, you were going here and there, and they ain't nothing like some Folgers coffee that your mama made. And it's stale and burnt, but that's the way you like it. You know what I'm talking about because you've been there. I was thinking this week, the reason that I, in a, in a world that we can get all the best coffee in the world, and the reason we buy Folgers every week has nothing to do with its taste. It has everything to do with my grandmother and grandfather. Because that gross coffee is the only coffee that I drank for years. And I wouldn't have another cup to start any day. We see Epaphroditus who is, he is homesick. He is ready to go back home, but he is faithful to the mission. He is faithful because he believes the call in his life and the glory of Christ far supersedes any feeling that he may have. But now the time has come and it seems right to Epaphroditus and the Apostle Paul to send him back home as a messenger of the good news of the gospel. So they sent him out to go share the good news. Paul is sending him back to go share the good news. Look at verse 27. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And essentially he is saying, God was gracious to heal him, for if he would have died, I don't know what I would have done. That is how close he was to Epaphroditus. Verse 28, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that I may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, so Paul was anxious that Epaphroditus was returning home, because some may think or have thought that Epaphroditus was a failure, or the mission was a failure. He was not a failure, nor was the mission a failure. That's why Paul goes on to say, verse 29 and 30, So receive him in the Lord Jesus with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your ser service to me. This verse may sound strange as it ends. And here's that strange ending. To complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul ends this thought by praising Aphroditus and praising the Philippian church. He's saying this, I know you wanted to be here with me, but you can't. So you sent Epaphroditus. He was faithful. He risked his own life to serve with me in advancing the kingdom, even when you couldn't be there. So when he says that what was lacking in you, well, the only thing lacking from, from the Philippian church to Paul was their actual presence. But they remedied that. They filled that void by sending a missionary. Now, if we were actually doing a mission-sending service, I would preach this text. 
Because we understand that it is our mission as the church to go into the whole world and make disciples. But sometimes we just can't physically do that right now in this season, but we can send missionaries from from among us. That's exactly what this church did, and Paul celebrated this church for it. So as our worship team comes back up and we move into our response time, there's one, uh, there's a lot we could talk about to close out, but we're going to just focus on this. The Apostle Paul loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved people incredibly well. Even, even when they were beating him, maligning him, hurting him, threatening to kill him. Paul also loved these two brothers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. He was greatly encouraged by their friendship and their presence, and he could have kept them to himself, but he didn't. They were the Apostle Paul's best, both personally and missionally. And he chose to send them out for the sake of Christ. So here's a question I would ask that comes from reading this text. What is our best? What are the things that we love the most? And are you willing to leverage them all for the sake of the gospel? What, what is the thing that you love the most? What, what is the thing that you most cherish, the thing that brings you the most joy, and are you willing to leverage it? And by leverage it, I, I literally mean whatever God desires. I'm not even going to presume what God desires for you and your best. But I do believe there is something to us coming to God, as we should. If we understand salvation, this should already be our thought process. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We were bought with a price. And so with that, we take our life and everything that is in our life and we say to the Lord Jesus, it is yours. Use it however you see fit. And I know a lot of times we become fearful in that because we think somehow, some way, if we, if we ever muster those words, then, and I don't know why we think this way, but I know we do because I do. That if I muster God, use my life any way you see fit, that somehow God's in heaven saying, ha, got him now. Now I got to use him in all the hard places. He's going to hate it. God is good. He is loving and he is faithful. God may send you to the hardest places, but hear me out. The people that go to the hardest places are generally the most joy-filled people. Why? Because God is with them. But God may not send you to the hardest places. Well, he may not send you to the hardest places in the world. Maybe the hardest place is right here in Madison. Maybe for your family, if you are here this morning and we are coming into the holiday season, and I know that brings with it a whole lot of other, the Center for Hope and Healing is gonna be open this week. Make an appointment. But it's this season that Maybe the family you haven't seen all year, you're about to see them again. And it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to, to speak truth into them and to love them. And you may say, God, send me to Tanzania. Send me to Chile. 
Anywhere but Madison. I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul saw the glory of God so important, so supreme, that anything that was closest to him, anything that was, was going to bring him the greatest joy, he is gonna take it and he's gonna surrender it to the, to the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, use it however you see fit. So he sends Timothy and he sends Epaphroditus. And if you read the rest of the letter, which if the Lord would allow it, we will, you are going to see a church become incredibly encouraged by the people who show up and speak truth how they learn to to one another very well. So my question for us this morning as we move towards our decision time is this. What is it in your life that is most dear to you? What is it in your life that is potentially keeping you from having the margin you would need to minister to those that are around you? Those two things I ask that you would surrender to the Lord Jesus this morning. That you would consider and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use them, but I surrender them to you today. Because at the end of the day, we are a united family of faith. And we've covenanted together to say that we are joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of those that are around this church. We will never be able to do that effectively until we are surrendered to him. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for today. I thank you for your word and the truth that it brings. I thank you for the opportunity this morning to respond. I ask, Lord, for brothers and sisters in this room that you would help us to to see you rightly. Because when we see you rightly, all fear is gone. anxiety goes out the window and we are able to rest for there is no one like you there's no one that compares to you and God your word tells us that because of what Christ has done on our behalf we are no longer your enemy but we are your child and so father we rest in that today and in that resting we surrender it all our best our most prized. Open-handed, Father, we say to you, here we are. Use it. Here I am. Send me. Jesus, help us to respond rightly for what we've heard today. We ask this, that your name would be glorified, and we pray this because your name is great. We love you, Jesus. We now stand and respond, church. Would you stand with me?